when we're babies, we, we don't have that many needs. We need to feel safe, loved, connected, and significant. And then when you leave babyhood, you still have those needs your entire life, plus a few more which are, need to be acknowledged, celebrated, be seen and heard, and have someone be proud of you. And when those needs are not met, they never blame the parent, they blame themselves. They don't stop loving their parent. They stop loving themselves. Welcome to the Hurt to Healing podcast with me, Pandora Morris. I've been fighting an uphill battle with my mental health for many years, and it's only now that I've started to see some glimmers of light. As part of my own recovery, I've made it my mission to support as many of you as possible on your own healing journey by sharing conversations that are more honest and more raw than ever before. I'll be speaking to some wonderful people from all walks of life who will open up about their own invisible struggles in the hope that it will provide a bit of solace and comfort for some of you. The Hurt to Healing podcast is proud to partner with Shout, the UK's first free, confidential, 24-7 tech support service. So if you're struggling to cope and need mental health support, please text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Marissa Peer is a world-leading therapist, a world-renowned speaker, a hypnotherapist, and best-selling author of five books. Marissa has changed thousands of lives and has spent the last 30 years working with Hollywood celebrities, CEOs, royalty, and sports stars. After being inundated with therapist requests, she eventually agreed to create her award-winning Rapid Transformational Therapy. Now Marissa has made it her mission to spread the message that there are simple, rapid, and effective techniques that can truly change your life. Rapid Transformational Therapy, or RTT, has shaken up the world of therapy and combines the most effective principles of CBT, psychotherapy, and hypnotherapy. I was extremely keen to get Marissa on the podcast to hear all about how this unique therapy has the power to turn around issues such as suicidal depression, eating disorders, and life-limiting phobias and addictions. So you've spoken a lot about why a child needs to feel loved, why a child needs to feel significant and to have a purpose mm. in their lives. And I love how you describe yourself as being the youngest of three. In the middle, I middle was in the middle. Three. But you were the only one who wasn't sent to a private yeah, school. Yeah, my brother and sister. Well, my brother went to private school. My sister went to grammar school. So they were both the smart ones and I was the one in the middle that really wasn't. How did that sort of have a bearing on where things went? I think I was very lucky that I had a grandmother who thought I was really smart. And I've always known that you need one person to believe in you. I think as a child, if you have one person, could be a teacher, could be an aunt, could be an uncle, could be a neighbor. But if you have one person that believes in you, I think you always have that one thing. And so my grandmother believed in me unquivocally. And I think that gave me the one thing. I think without her, I don't know how I would have turned out, not the way I've turned out today. but. Yeah, I think having her helped me a lot because, of course, my brother did go to private school. My sister went to grammar school, and I didn't. But I had one person who, who believed in me. But I had something else as well, which actually I'm very glad I had, and it was that I'll show you. I think when your parents don't believe in you, I think you can either go completely, well, what's the point? No one does. Or you can come back with, I'm going to prove to you. 
that I've got something. And they asked, show you, has stood me in very good, stayed my entire life. I still have that occasionally, I'll show you. And I think it's good to have that. You feel the need to prove something to someone. And that proving is a driving force. And I think, you know, you could have ambition, you could have drive, but whatever gives you a driving force is something to be very grateful for. And your dad was the headmaster of your school, mm, wasn't he? He was. And you write about how he sort of marked your history homework once. Yeah. And he thought you were incredibly intelligent, but you took that as actually an insult. He actually wrote in my book, and I think I was 11. It was my first year at his school and my first year in his class because he was the head teacher but also the history teacher. And he wrote in my history book, this is wonderful work. I had no idea you were intelligent. And I think he wrote that to please me, but I wasn't pleased. I was thinking, gosh, my dad doesn't even know I'm intelligent. He's wrote, I had no idea you're intelligent. It's supposed to be a compliment, but I, I wasn't pleased by that. I wasn't complimented. I remember thinking that my father doesn't even know who I am. And I found that rather eye-opening. That my own, I had to be in his class for him to see that I was smart. What fascinates me is how different kids react. Mm. Because one child might have gone completely inward and thought, I'm not good enough, yeah. I'm not worthy, or my dad thinks that, you know, whatever start this whole narrative in their heads but mm. you obviously were quite a defiant child and actually it sounds like you were quite strong and quite sort of resilient and actually used that as a sort of impetus to you know do what yeah, you wanted to do. I would never have described myself as that because I think I was incredibly insecure, incredibly self-conscious and a bit lost actually although I didn't really know I was lost because we had the nice house and nice trappings but inside it was pretty chaotic so if, if I looked at myself now, I'd say that I was a sad, insecure, kind of lost child, really, except I had this one grandmother. But I did become defiant later. Yeah, that's really interesting, because I think sometimes when I've read about you or heard you speak, you can give the impression of actually being quite a willful kind mm. of little bundle of sort mm. of like, right, I'm going to show you. Yeah, I think I was sometimes, but I think the willfulness was there. But I think, you know, when you feel not enough, you also need very much to be loved. So I was also a great pleaser. You know, I talk a lot about the four ways children act in order to belong. And when you come, when you're in a family, if you don't feel they love me for me and, and I'm loved and that's it, there's only four ways you can belong. And the first way is to be sick, which is... Very interesting thing for a kid to do because when you're sick and suddenly your mother's taken to the hospital or the specialist, you might not feel loved. It's the next best thing. You feel that someone is concerned about you, which is the next best thing to being loved. And I wasn't the sick one because my brother was very asthmatic. So he already had that role. And the next one is to be the brilliant one, the very academic kid or the sporty one that gets all the awards because you kind of feel indispensable that way. And that was, again, my brother. So I couldn't have that role. And the next role is to be the very caring one. And the last role is the defiant one. And I was always the caring one. I was the one who'd clean the house and try and please everybody. What would you say about how children who have suffered in their early years and who have that feeling of, I don't belong, I'm not loved, I'm not good enough. How do you think that children should be able to cope with that and sort of move forward or remedy that sort of early childhood trauma? You know, it's incredibly sad because when we're babies, we, we don't have that many needs. We need to feel safe, loved, connected, and significant. And then when you leave babyhood, you still have those needs your entire life, plus a few more which are, need to be acknowledged, celebrated, be seen and heard, and have someone be proud of you. 
And when those needs are not met, most children, almost in fact, almost all children never think, oh, my mom isn't loving me because she's got the depression. My dad isn't present because he's so worried about money. My mom isn't there because she's an alcoholic. A child can only think my parents aren't meeting my needs. I guess I'm unworthy. And so all children, they never blame the parent. They blame themselves. They don't stop loving their parent. They stop loving themselves because a child has to idealize their parents. That's how they survive on the planet. And if you buy into it, it's my fault. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy enough, smart enough, interesting enough, pretty enough, blah, blah, blah. The sad thing is you carry it your entire life. And I actually didn't really know how much damaged I was until I was 17 and I met my first boyfriend who really loved me because I just didn't feel worthy of his love and affection. So I acted in a very, very destructive way. But that's what happens. You sort of, you go into sabotage mode, destructive mode, acting out mode, because inside you just don't feel worthy of love because you've never had it. So how do you transform that feeling of lack of lovability? So the trick is to work out what would a great parent say to you? And that's not rocket science. A great parent would say, how lucky am I to have you? The joy of my life is parenting you. I love you just the way you are. When you can work out what you would have loved to have heard, you begin to say it to yourself. I'm amazing. I'm lovable. I was a great kid. Now I'm a great adult. I got something to offer the world. You have to feed it to yourself. Think It's what I call the missing part of you, the words you never heard. And we all run around going, well, I'll find someone else then. My mum never said I mattered, but I'm going to find someone to say that. My dad never said I was pretty or interesting, but I'll find someone else. But you see, what you've done is you've given that need to someone else now. And you may find someone that turns and goes, yeah, I'll do all of that. But they may not do it forever. They may have their own issues things sometimes don't work out. And now if you give someone the power to make you feel good, of course you give them the power to make you feel bad. And when you say, I need my other half, but you're not half, you're a whole. You don't need someone to complete you or make you a whole. So you've got to get over that thing about, I'm just a half. I'll find my other half and then I'll be complete. I'm nothing without someone. I need my significant other to matter. You've got to get to a place where you think, I am enough and I do matter and I am worth it and I'll find someone else to see what I see in me and then we can have a great relationship together because the best you can ever be is that I'm flawed and you're flawed and we can have a great flawed relationship but I can't find someone to make me perfect and I can't make someone perfect. I'd be curious to know what you think about dealing with narcissists. Yeah, I was working this week with a girl, actually. It was so interesting because every scene she kept brought up was having totally unpredictable parents. I mean, really way out there, unpredictable, mentally ill father, chronically depressed mother. And then she was telling me that the person she dates now isn't honest with her. And she said, that just drives me crazy because I'm very liberal. I don't care if he meets his ex for lunch. I care that he lies about it. But then you have to think, but why is he lying about it? Maybe he feels that you're taking up that position of someone who's so fragile and he can't tell you the truth. Because only what you've gone through in your life, you need to decide that you're predictable and that you can be around people and they don't have to be predictable. They just have to be normal. So often 
we carry so much stuff from our My dad was never there, so you've always got to be there. My mum was very volatile, so you, you can never be volatile. You've got to be completely calm. And, you know, we keep recreating what we know and trying to change the ending. And we're so busy, she's so busy trying to change the boyfriend. I'm like, well, why don't you just change you? It's much easier to change you than to change someone. In fact, you can't change anyone else, but you can say, oh, I had this wild, unpredictable, actually terrifying childhood, but now I'm predictable. I've got this great guy, and I know he loves me. And I can say to him, tell me you're meeting your ex, because I honestly, considering the things I went through, it's nothing, I don't mind. But if you can just show him that you're confident, he won't feel, oh, God, I can't tell her the truth because she can't handle it. So, of course, we could get very upset with a boyfriend for lying because that's totally wrong. But sometimes you can look at the whole picture. You can see the part we bring into a relationship. I'm fragile. Your job is to make me happy. And it, it's no one's job to make you happy. It's your job. So when you think, okay, what are my needs? I need to feel safe. Well, I could kind of meet that. I need to feel significant. I actually could meet that. I need to feel I matter. Well, I could tell myself I matter. And when you do that, it, it's such a balm to your soul because you haven't given that job to anyone else and it really makes you feel much more able to cope in the world. If you, Not that you're totally independent, but it's a nice feeling to think, well, I can do that. So that's a nice segue into RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy, and to explain how you came up with the concept and how it works. Yes, I did get a lot of flack for calling my method of therapy rapid transformation. Some therapists said to me, that's outrageous, and you should never put the word rapid in front of therapy. Therapy is long and painful, but who said that? And why does that have to be true? And I always thought therapy is a healing modality. When I broke my arm, my guy said, it'll take a couple of months to straighten it out, but he didn't say turn up every week with your pain, and we'll talk about your broken arm. He sort of set it for me and gave me some exercises, and it got better. I always thought therapy should be rather like going to the emergency room. They should say, oh, well, you know, this is why you're in pain and this is what we're going to do. And the pain's going to stop very quickly because the pain does stop very quickly when you can help someone understand the source of their pain. I wanted to give people a faster method of change. And I understood very early on because of my clients, it's like a ladder. First is a thought. And then there's a feeling, and then there's a behavior. So many people are trying so hard to change the behavior, going to AA to change the behavior, going to the gym to change, but having surgery, doing all kinds of stuff to change the behavior. But all you have to do is change the thought, because thought always comes first. So when I created RTT, it was to say, look, let's make it simple. Most of the pain you're in is because of the thoughts you think the lies you tell yourself, and the fact that you're living someone else's story. So if we accept that, that means change is easy. Tell yourself a better lie. Stop living someone else's story. And realize that no matter what your child was like, that, that isn't you anymore, and it doesn't even have to define you. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. 
what would you say to someone who wanted to become a rapid transformational therapist and how does one become a rapid transformational therapist? I would say, first of all, it's the best job in the world. I've been doing it for 34 years. It's never bored me. I've never wanted to do anything else. I love it as much today as the day I began. It's an amazing job because there aren't that many jobs or careers that meet all your needs. And in a career, if you're lucky, you will have your needs for connection, significance, diversity, certainty, growth, contribution, making a difference, and meaning and purpose all met. But there's not many careers that meet that. But being a rapid transformation therapist really does. Most forms of being a therapist do. So if you're a woman, especially, it's such a gift because when I was a single parent and I was aware that I was so lucky that I could work from home, work around my baby sleeping. When she go to work around her going to school, I never had to ask for a day off. If she was sick, I could just cancel everything. I could pick my hours, pick my fees. But I also would wake up and go to bed thinking, gosh, I did something really worthwhile today. I helped someone. As you say, in a way, it's an oxymoron having kind of that rapid and transformation and, and mm. next to therapy. But actually, why should therapy? I mean, I think so many people, you know, they can talk for 45 years and take no action at all. And mm. you develop this rapport with often with a therapist and it becomes just way too colloquial. Mm. And, but I think with your method, it seems to be very kind of focused on like the here and now and actually getting things. Yeah. You need a therapy that will change neural circuits. Only therapy that changes those neural pathways is therapy worth having. You know, I started off in the 80s teaching aerobics for Jane Fonda. And even then it was like, it's just a form of craziness that all these girls with anorexia would turn up and, and they would work out to fix what was an emotional illness. And it's like, this is so insane because the only way you can ever have a body that you love is to love the body you have. And we're so disengaged from our bodies. We try and force them to work out for us and force them to eat powdered soups and powdered shakes and protein bars and we're so busy buying all this dried stuff that's worthless instead of thinking wow my body is probably the most incredible piece of equipment I'll ever own in my entire life it's extraordinary so I also wanted in RTT to really help young girls and guys who feel so unworthy and then transfer that to unhappiness with their body because a perfect body is not going to make you happy. There are plenty of people who've got them and they're very unhappy. And other people who haven't got them and are very happy the way they are. So the dissatisfaction with a self, which I think social media has made a million times worse, I think it's made a lot of people really unhappy with who they are. And so I wanted our TT to make them see that, you know, everybody matters, everyone has a purpose. Everyone has something to offer. You just don't know that. But if you did, you'd be a lot happier than if you had a perfect body. Do you hold social media responsible for this sort of epidemic of mental health issues? You know, there was a study in Fiji, I think it was in the, I don't know this exactly right, so I don't want to get it wrong, but in Fiji, some time ago, they suddenly had television piped in, and um, things like, I don't know, Beverly Hills 90291 and Baywatch and Friends, and they discovered that when, within just a couple of years, they had an epidemic of girls with bulimia and anorexia. And then exactly the same thing happened in Turkish villages. So it is the comparison. Does that come from television? Yes. Magazines? Absolutely. 
social. I mean, that we do now have sites where you can go on and ask people to rate you. And they go, you're only a three. But, you know, nobody can rate you. Only you can rate you. And we shouldn't say to someone, you have the power to rate me because only you can rate you. And you should rate yourself very highly because what you look like is so temporary. It doesn't last. It doesn't really give you happiness. It's just the wrapping. But I, I, I think all of the media, whether it's television, magazines, books, social media, they've all allowed people to go into this comparison. And when you compare yourself, you never come out of it well. You always come out of it badly and you have to start. It's such a shame that we think our wonky grin or our buck teeth makes us unattractive because someone else might find it very attractive, but it doesn't even matter if they don't. And now what's your current goal and where do you see your life panning out in the next five years? I think every therapist should have a name to put themselves out of business. I mean, I think it's a great thought that, wow, if I could get to the next generation with a book or a product, maybe they wouldn't need therapy. So I was just so thrilled when RTT started to get picked up in schools. Last year we had 600 schools in the UK and about the same number in America taking this five-day challenge where we created a cheerleader and all these children would would give up the critical voice and, and take on this cheerleader that would cheer them on. And we created this physical cheerleader, this little mascot, if you like. And they talked about, like, when they say, he, he helps my mental health. He believes me. He makes me feel I could do better. He tells me. But, of course, the, critic, the cheerleader was just a part of their mind saying, you can do this. This has got your name all over it. But all the schools said it was amazing that these young children who felt they had a cheerleader cheering them on did better academically within a week, made more friends within a week, stopped being mean. It was really the, probably one of the highlights of my career that I thought, gosh, I'm, I got into bed one night and I was thinking, that's 1,500 schools. How many children is that? And I, didn't, I couldn't even work out how many, but I can't tell you how good that felt to think, wow, all of those children can do better because they've got a cheerleader that believes in them. And that's all we ever need. That could be our gran, could be our dad, could be our teacher. But actually, if I believe in me, that's the best belief of all. I can do it. I've got this. And what do you do to look after your own mental health? For me, one of the things that really helped, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I say is I love my life. I, I always think I love my sheets. I always make a point of going, I love the smell of this shower gel. I get really excited about my first cup of tea. I go, oh, I love my first cup of tea with oat milk. And then I have a coffee with oat milk. I love that too. You have to talk yourself out of being negative and stressed and talk yourself into something better. And even if you don't do it all the time, if you do it most of the time, that works. And then get that, you know, when you have your first cup of coffee, go, oh my God, this is sensational. So I get so much joy from little things. I always find pleasure from little things. And then if the little things make you happy, the big things make you happy too. But living in that attitude of gratitude. Mm. And I think quite often it comes with age and like that maturity of just being able to recognize actually that's not what makes me happy. Yeah. I never have, fo I actually have DOMO, the absolute delight of missing out and JOMO, the joy of missing out. I think, oh God, I don't want to go to this party and 
No, I mean, sometimes I do. I go to some events. I, I spoke in um, Germany at the weekend for ten, to 10,000 people. It was amazing. And they had a party, but it didn't start till 11 o'clock. And I kind of wanted to go. And I thought, do I really want to go to a party at 11? Actually, no, I really don't. I'm sure it's lovely. And everyone had a great time. But I didn't feel bad about not going. If it started at 10 or even 8, I would have gone. But it's really good to not have FOMO and to have JOMO and to think, you know, where I am now, I'm happy. Because I think if you're looking for happy, I'll be happy if I go there and I'll be happy if I do that. And we've forgotten, or maybe we were never taught, that happiness is an inside job. There's nowhere you can ever go that will make you happy. You have to be happy now. You can't go somewhere. There's no terminus or destination called happiness. It's where you are. And, of course, the way you feel about everything is only ever down to two things, the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. And that means that you are responsible for changing those pictures in your head and changing the words. And when you realize that you're always saying, well, this is killing me and this is so stressful and this is a nightmare and this is a disaster, you're putting those pictures in your head that make you unhappy. And if you only knew that every picture and thought you put in your head is a blueprint that your mind and body are making real, you might think better thoughts because you think a thought, which seems just an innocuous thing, but your mind and body always trying to make your thoughts worse. If your thought is, I can't cope, and this is so stressful, and I'm dreading that event, your mind is now going to have to give you a stomachache or a cold to get you out of it because the thought is saying, I don't want to do that. Because although you can choose your thoughts, your poor body can't choose. And so I think if we only could understand that gift of just adapting and adjusting how we define ourselves, making it better, our lives would change so dramatically. Yeah, the power comes from within, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. always. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for coming today. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and just absolutely enlightening in every respect. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's been amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hurt to Healing podcast. I'd love for you to subscribe to the show or to follow me on our Hurt to Healing Instagram at Hurt to Healing Pod. You might also have a friend or family member that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. So please spread the word. Thank you.